You're listening to the Get Your Gut Together with Dr. Ariola podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Carolina Ariola. I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor with a telemedicine practice who specializes in all things gut health. I created this podcast to provide listeners like you with the information needed to understand how the gut works, how it affects nearly every aspect of your health, and of course, to give you the basics on how you can start improving your gut health today. I'm committed to empowering my listeners and providing you all with the information and the tools you may need to advocate for yourselves, get your gut together, and achieve optimal health. Now let's get the show started. The information provided on this show is not medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. It is not meant to diagnose or treat any disease or condition. Please consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any of the information provided into your personal care. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Get Your Gut Together with Dr. Ariola podcast, where we talk about all things related to the gut. Being a doctor who focuses primarily on digestive health, I get a ton of people who struggle with food-related issues, or at least think they do. Now, many people that I see have legitimate food sensitivities, intolerances, and or food allergies, but a common denominator amongst most of them is they don't know the difference between the three. So today, we're going to dive into the topic of food and how it can be responsible for certain symptoms you may be experiencing. We'll discuss food allergies, food sensitivities, and food intolerances in detail. I'll highlight how they're different and how they're similar, and we'll also go over testing for these kinds of things. I definitely have some thoughts on the testing, so be sure to stick around for that. But without further ado, let's dive right into it. Let's start with food allergies. What exactly is a food allergy? Food allergies are when your immune system mistakes particular foods as harmful substances and produces an allergic reaction. And this reaction can vary based on the intensity of the allergy. When your immune system identifies a particular food as an invader, it then responds to that food by producing allergic antibodies, also known as IgE antibodies. These IgE antibodies bind to specialized cells called mast cells, which triggers the release of histamines, which then causes immediate symptoms like itching and redness. I know that was a lot of sciencey talk, so let me make it a bit more digestible. To paint a picture for you, I want you to imagine your body as a factory with high levels of security. So anything coming in and coming out is being monitored by a security team, which is your immune system. So when your security team spots an invader in the factory, or at least what it thinks is an invader, it will alert a specialized part of your security team, which are those IgE antibodies that I mentioned earlier. These IgE antibodies are like special agents that are trained to recognize and attack specific foods. When the food is detected, the IgE antibodies immediately go into action and attach to mast cells, which are like little security posts scattered throughout the factory. Once the IgE antibodies are attached to those mast cells, they're on high alert and waiting for any sign of trouble. And when trouble does come in the form of the food allergen, the IgE antibodies signal to the mast cells to release their stores of histamine. So histamine is like a chemical alarm system that triggers a cascade of reactions throughout the body. It causes blood vessels to dilate, which increases blood flow to the area and makes it red and swollen. 
It also makes blood vessels more permeable, which allows immune cells to quickly move in and attack the perceived threat. And histamine also stimulates nerve endings, which causes itching and other uncomfortable sensations. So in short, a food allergy is like a case of mistaken identity. The immune system mistakenly identifies a harmless food as a dangerous invader and launches an attack. This attack triggers the release of histamine, which causes the symptoms of an allergic reaction. One of the scariest things about food allergies is that they can become more dangerous with each exposure. Here's why. When you're first exposed to an allergen, your immune system may produce a small amount of those IgE antibodies in response. But if you're exposed to the allergen again, your immune system produces even more IgE antibodies, which means there are more special agents on high alert and ready to attack. This increased level of alertness and readiness means that the release of histamine and other chemicals during an allergic reaction can be much more intense and widespread, which can lead to more severe symptoms like difficulty breathing, swelling of the face and the throat, and a drop in blood pressure. In extreme cases, this can lead to anaphylaxis, which is a life-threatening reaction that requires immediate medical attention. It's important to note that not everyone with a food allergy will experience this escalation in severity with each exposure. Some people may have a mild reaction every time they're exposed to the allergen, while others may have a severe reaction the very first time they're exposed. It's also worth mentioning that the severity of an allergic reaction can vary from person to person and even from one reaction to the next in the same person. The bottom line is that food allergies are serious and should always be taken seriously. If you or someone you know has a food allergy, it's important to take steps to avoid exposure to the allergen and to always have emergency medication like an EpiPen on hand in case of an accidental exposure. The most common food allergies are peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, dairy, and wheat. If you are suspicious you may have a true allergy, testing might be a good idea. Testing for food allergies is typically done through a blood test or a skin prick test, and is fairly accessible and easy to get done through your doctor. Now, let's talk about food sensitivities. Generally speaking, food sensitivities are more common than food allergies. Unlike food allergies, symptoms of food sensitivities can be delayed and may not be as severe. Common food sensitivities include gluten, dairy, corn, soy, artificial dyes, and artificial sweeteners, amongst many others. So we just talked about how a food allergy is an immediate reaction that involves the IgE antibodies and histamine. Food sensitivities are similar in that they also invoke an immune response in the body, but it's, it's a little different. Although the immune system is still involved, when exposed to a food allergen, instead of producing those IgE antibodies that were mentioned earlier, it produces a different type of antibody called IgG. IgG antibodies function differently than IgE antibodies because they do not trigger the histamine release that causes that immediate allergic reaction. Instead, IgG antibodies can mediate inflammatory responses by binding to the food and forming what's called an immune complex. These immune complexes can then circulate throughout the body and deposit 
in various tissues where they can cause inflammation. Due to this response, symptoms of a food sensitivity can show up hours to days later and are much more varied and can include anything from digestive issues and chronic headaches to fatigue, anxiety, or skin issues. Because of the delayed onset, food sensitivities can be missed since the link between the food trigger and the symptom it produces isn't always clear. To continue with our factory analogy from earlier, you can think of IgG antibodies associated with the food sensitivity as a bit like a stealthy spy. These antibodies are more like secret agents that can slip under the radar of the security team and go undetected for a while. They don't immediately alert the immune system to a problem like the IgE antibodies do. Instead, they can form these immune complexes and sneak around the factory undetected, causing trouble in different areas. It's not until there's a buildup of these immune complexes that the immune system finally catches on and launches an attack. Again, this delayed response is why IgG food sensitivities can be harder to identify than allergies. The symptoms can be more subtle and take longer to appear, making it difficult to connect them to specific foods. So to sum it up, a food sensitivity is a delayed immune response that involves the production of IgG antibodies and immune complexes. These immune complexes can cause inflammation and other symptoms in different parts of the body, such as your digestive system, your joints, or your skin. Symptoms can include bloating, gas, joint pain, headaches, brain fog, irregular bowels like constipation or diarrhea, skin changes, and abdominal pain. However, these symptoms can also overlap with other more serious conditions, again, making them harder to identify. It's also important to note that food sensitivities are not the same as food intolerances. I often hear people using the word intolerance and sensitivity interchangeably, but they are different. A food intolerance occurs when your body can't digest a certain food properly, usually due to a lack of certain enzymes. For example, Lactose intolerance occurs when your body can't digest lactose, which is the sugar found in milk and dairy products. When you have this intolerance, you're lacking the lactase enzyme, which is responsible for breaking down lactose. Since your body cannot break it down, it sort of runs right through you, causing you to need the bathroom right away. Because it's caused by an enzyme deficiency, this is why food intolerances like lactose intolerance can have a genetic component and are more common in certain ethnic groups. Intolerances can cause similar symptoms as a food sensitivity, but it's a different mechanism entirely, as one case involves your immune system while the other does not. Certain intolerances can be well managed by taking digestive enzymes to help you break down the sugars or proteins that your body can't break down. Lactate or dairy support pills are usually supplements that help with issues like this. Now, a common question I get after explaining the difference between a food allergy, sensitivity, and intolerance is, can I become allergic, sensitive, or intolerant to a food if I never was before? And the short answer is yes. When it comes to new food allergies or sensitivities, there are a few different mechanisms that can cause this to happen. 
One is through a process known as sensitization, where exposure to a new allergen or a large amount of an allergen can trigger the immune system to develop an allergy to that substance. This means that a person may have consumed a particular food, let's say avocado, for many, many years without any issues. But over time, repeated exposure sensitizes their immune system to that food, causing an allergic reaction to occur. Another possible explanation is something called cross-reactivity, where the immune system mistakes the proteins in one food for those in another food that the person is already allergic to. So, for example, a person with a peanut allergy may also develop an allergy to other tree nuts like cashews and almonds or legumes, which are beans, as these foods contain similar proteins that can trigger an immune response. This is seen often in people who are allergic to cow's milk, eggs, and shellfish. Like I talked about earlier, in most cases, food allergies are a case of mistaken identity. So the reasoning might not seem logical, and that's because it sort of isn't. Food allergies can develop at any age, and there may not always be a clear explanation for why someone suddenly becomes allergic to a particular food. Likewise, food intolerances can also develop later in life. Let's take lactose intolerance, for instance, since it's one of the most common and well-known intolerances. As a reminder, intolerances are caused by a deficiency of an enzyme, but this deficiency can be either genetic or acquired. In some cases, people are born with a genetic mutation that causes them to produce less lactase than is necessary to properly digest lactose. This genetic deficiency is most commonly found in people of Asian, African, Native American, and Hispanic descent. And when you are born with this, from the get-go, you cannot properly digest lactose-containing milk products. However, in other cases, people may develop lactose intolerance later in life due to an acquired deficiency of lactase. This can happen as a result of damage to the small intestine. Damage can be caused by infection or injury, chronic inflammation, or even as a natural part of the aging process. In some cases, certain medical treatments such as radiation therapy or chemotherapy can also cause food intolerances. So to sum up, yes, it is very possible to develop these food issues later in life, which can be very frustrating. So I already went over how to manage a food intolerance, and essentially it's just a matter of taking digestive enzymes to help your body break the food down. But next, I want to briefly talk about how you can manage having food allergies and sensitivities. A general rule for both food allergies and sensitivities is to do what you can to avoid trigger foods. This can be a pain when you aren't the one responsible for cooking each meal you make, but this means that it's really important to become proficient at reading food labels and asking questions when eating out, especially when we're talking about true food allergies. Like I mentioned earlier, the scary thing about food allergies is that they can become more dangerous with each exposure. Again, this doesn't happen to everyone, but it's better to be prepared in this situation if it does happen. So if you have a food allergy and are eating out, it's important to carry 
emergency medications such as Benadryl or in more severe cases, an EpiPen. This can save your life in case of an allergic reaction. Now in the case of a food sensitivity, we can be a little bit more lax. The most difficult thing to do with food sensitivities is determining which foods you are sensitive to. People's first go-to in this situation is to run a food sensitivity test. Food sensitivity tests work by testing your blood for the production of IgG antibodies in response to different foods. Typically, about 96 different foods are tested at once. And then they rate those responses on a scale. This provides the patient with data on what foods, if any, are causing an immune response in their body. These at-home tests are convenient because you're able to do everything from the comfort of your home. The lab companies provide you with all the instructions and tools needed to collect a small blood sample as well as a prepaid return mailing envelope to send your results back in. Another perk is that it's quick and easy and typically requires little time or commitment on the patient's end. The downside, they're pricey and not always worth the money. Doing a test like this can provide you with valuable information, but they are not perfect and often provide inaccurate results. More importantly, although they do sometimes provide accurate results on which foods can initiate an IgG immune response, they do not address how exactly these reactions can manifest in the patient's body and what symptoms they are tied to. Another common issue with these tests is that they often give false negatives, meaning they don't show any reaction when there actually is one. I've had many patients who had very clear food sensitivities, most of which they had identified on their own, complete an at-home food sensitivity tests, and receive results that reported they had no sensitivities. This is common because many people will be sensitive to a food, but not sensitive enough to trigger an immune response that would be detectable on a blood test. False positives are also a common issue with these tests. People will receive results that state they produce an immune reaction to nearly every food listed. From my experience, this commonly occurs in cases of intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut. Because the barrier of the digestive lining has been compromised, food particles, bacteria, and other toxins are able to gain access to the bloodstream when they normally shouldn't be able to. When this happens, almost anything you eat can trigger an immune response, but it does not mean that you have a true sensitivity to all those foods. Getting results like this is extremely frustrating for patients because instead of helping them narrow down the cause of their symptoms, they are left feeling even more confused and unsure of how to proceed. Another issue surrounding tests like this is the misleading concept that you just need to take the test and that you'll magically understand the cause of your symptoms. Food sensitivity tests only show if there is an IgG response to a particular food, but they do not address how exactly these reactions are manifesting in the patient's body and what symptoms they're tied to. So let's say someone has chronic joint pain or bloating, and they do a test like this, and four to five foods come back flat. They still don't know which food is the culprit of which symptom or if they're related at all. Because of this, many food sensitivity tests include a two-part elimination and reintroduction diet to supplement the test results. 
However, I would argue that this elimination and reintroduction phase is the most valuable part of this whole experience and could be done on its own for free, thus making the blood testing portion unnecessary. I often recommend doing some form of a structured elimination diet over using at-home testing kits because a proper elimination and reintroduction diet provides you with all the information you need without the cost of a blood test or the risk of being provided with inaccurate results. I discussed earlier how if a person doesn't have a strong enough reaction to a food to elicit an immune response, then they increase the risk of receiving inaccurate results, such as false negatives. The beauty of doing an elimination diet is that there are no false negatives. Your body doesn't lie to you, and doing something like this reinforces the fact that you are the only one who can determine if a food makes you feel good or bad. I should note, though, that these elimination and reintroduction diets are not generally recommended to test for food allergies. That can be a potentially dangerous route, so please only consider doing this sort of protocol to check for food sensitivities. Once you are able to identify foods that your body has difficulty with, navigating a healthier lifestyle becomes a little easier because you know what you are facing and what you should be avoiding. So hopefully now you have a little more clarity on the differences between a food allergy, a food sensitivity, and an intolerance. As a summary, in today's episode, we talked about those key differences and similarities among the three. We now know that allergies and sensitivities are both immune responses, unlike food intolerances, which has nothing to do with the immune system. I also discuss food sensitivity testing as well as the pros and cons with going that route and how doing a proper elimination and reintroduction protocol could be just as beneficial. I hope that you found the information in this episode helpful. And if you have any questions or comments for me regarding anything that I talked about, please leave a comment or shoot me a message on Instagram as I would love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you'll join me for the next one.